38 war. What happens is this, the second coming has tons of signs, about 50, and we go through about 10 each week, but the rapture has no signs. But if you can see what's going to happen just after the rapture, then we can kind of tell what's happening. So that's the Ezekiel 38 war. People say, Joe, why do you think it's after the rapture? Well, because in this dispensation, uh, God gave the authority to the church. When we're raptured, it goes back to seven years of Old Covenant time, and Russia comes down on Israel and God intervenes. He didn't intervene in this dispensation, but instantly he intervenes during that seven-year period. So you're seeing the symptoms of that taking place right now. I mean, even this last week, you had China, you had Russia, and you had Iran doing war games. I mean, that's a precursor for what's going to be happening during the tribulation. Let's pick up of what's happened around Israel, though. Man, so much has happened. You had... Israel uh, bombed a huge base right on the border of Iraq of Iranian troops with Shiite militia troops. Uh, they were taking out, this is where the convoys were coming down from uh, Iran into Syria to get to Hezbollah. Remember where they were recalculating the missiles? Well, they, this is the fifth uh, strike in one week. And it's amazing how they, it said they took out all the buildings so they won't, have, they won't have any place to store any weaponry. They wiped it out. So uh, last week, uh, Putin said that Israel could go in and do whatever they wanted to do. This week, you had two Russian airplanes that went and tried to intercept one of their other uh, bombings that they were doing. So you're, you're seeing symptoms of this leading up to the Ezekiel 38 war. It's just radical. But Israel did a massive attack with F-22s and F-35 fighter planes. In the middle of that, you had Iranian Shiite militia troops fire five missiles at a U.S. base on the Iraqi border as well. I mean, in the middle of that in Palmyra, they're making up another uh, Baal god where he originally was. So you have all this coinciding with America fighting back. Now, America took a different stance this week. We haven't been really retaliating against Iran. Remember when they bombed the Saudi Arabian oil fields? America didn't really do anything. But now America's sent fire planes in to blow up those Iranian troops that fired those missiles at our bases. And that's what Iran said last week. They said we have uh, 21 U.S. bases in their sights. Well, America answered that with, with some really strong firepower, so I thought that was pretty wild. In the middle of that, you had Iran pull out one of its main bases on the southern part of Syria, which is right by the Golan, the northern part of Israel. Uh, Iran pulled the whole base out. Now, in the midst of that, they said their Iranian... Their Iran, their, Uranium production has gone ballistic to the point that they're going to, have to be ready for nuclear weapons sooner than they thought. And you had the watchdogs in the EU say that it looked like that was actually true. In the middle of that, you had the EU sign papers yesterday to mark all the goods in the West Bank. And I love what Benjamin Netanyahu said. He said, uh, Judea and Samaria will always be a part of Israel. Of course, they had some preliminary elections that still didn't bring anything to pass, so we still don't have a leader in Israel yet, but I know there's certain dates that are going to come to pass that are going to force an election. So, so many things keep happening that point to the coming of the Lord, specifically these these uh, attacks with Iran. The boldness and the brashness of Iran is going to be met headstrong with Israel and America. This is another thing that's happening this week, which is pretty wild. You had 60,000 earthquakes that looked like this last year. The earthquake center was showing that it looks like the ring of fires get ready to have another huge, huge one. You had, of course, a volcano eruption in New Zealand. You had uh, the anti-Semitism stuff is, is what is amazing. You had the uh, Jewish grocery store. Six people got killed. There's many more things happening overseas about that. But uh, this is the interesting one as far as signs go. You have tonight at 12 minutes after 12 Eastern time, which would be Thursday morning, 12, 12, 12, 12. You have a full moon exactly on that time. So... England got excited about that, too. It kind of freaks me out, all the things that are happening that are so signals of the coming of the Lord. 
So let's let's look at the things we look at every week, the signs. They're blatant, they're exact, they're precise. What are they for? They're to show us how near we are to the coming of the Lord. Number one, Israel made a nation. Number two, Jerusalem won back. After that, you got the Hebrew language restored. You got the Ethiopian Jews brought back. You got the fertility of the land of Israel. You got the revival of the Roman Empire. You got the Temple Mount Institute. You got foxes showing up on the Temple Mount. That's Lamentations 5:18. You had fish showing up in the Dead Sea. Ezekiel prophesied that would happen right before the coming of the Lord. So you have tangible, physical things pointing to Jesus about to come back to the planet. I like uh, men will be lovers themselves have selfie sticks. It's crazy. The pastor of this life we saw in Owasso took a selfie of himself when I preached that. Uh, it's so crazy. So you have many, many more signs. I think what the amazing thing is, is the Temple Mount getting ready uh, to be uh, the focal point of everything. Remember how the UN nations came together saying that they're going to call it by its Muslim name, not the Temple Mount? Well, it will always be Jerusalem's. It will always be Israel's. So that's what the greatest war of all wars is going to be over that piece of real estate. So you have all these tangible, physical things you can look at to tell. Blatant, exact, easy to understand. But then after that, you've got signals. You had blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles. I mean, if you're, if you're driving from Tulsa, Oklahoma City, the signs tell you how close you are to Oklahoma City. But once you get in there, you have signals. You have traffic signals. So you had blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles, four in a row. NASA calls it a tetrad. When's the last time you had four in a row? 1967 when Jerusalem was won back. 1948 when Israel was made a nation. 1492 at the Edict of Expulsion when the Jews were kicked out of Spain. So you got blood red moons. That's just radical. And then you had the Bethlehem star this last year. First time in 2,000 years. Jupiter, Regulus, Venus came together. At the birth of Jesus, the constellation was Virgo. This last year, the constellation was Leo. Now, the Lord's showing us all these things because He loves us so much. Remember, everything about all these signs is He wants us to accelerate. He wants us to accelerate our race, accelerate our course, because we're about to see Jesus face to face. He wants the church to know how much He loves her. I say it this way every week when I preach. If Colleen was walking down the aisle to marry me, I wouldn't want her sad and depressed. I'd want her expectant. I'd want her excited because we're engaged and we're about to be married. So we're about to see Jesus face to face. So you have all these. They even had uh, you, you. You had the the Mars do a flyby of the sun does five times in a century. It's amazing though that it went down directly over the Temple Mount at sundown. The moon forms a sickle. Planets form a sickle. Orion changes instruments to hammer. She had hammer and sickle on the same day. That's Russia's symbol. All of these tangible physical signs and signals are to show us Jesus is just about to come back. Just like a football game, when you've got a two-minute warning, the plays are more crucial at the very end. So the church has to get a two-minute warning mentality. So what do we do? Help our local church, help our local pastor. We're more involved than we've ever been involved. We don't skip church. We're engaged. Just like when you're engaged, you talk to your bride-to-be more than you talk to her before. There's an excitement level and a closeness that happens just before we see Jesus face-to-face. Wow, 12-12-12-12, full moon uh, tonight, so get ready for that. How exciting. Jesus is just about to come back. Have a blessed, awesome week. We'll see you next Wednesday. Pretty interesting stuff. It's, uh, you know, that we're seeing right before right before our eyes that we get to, uh, that we get to witness these things. Uh, amen. All right, uh, if I can get you somebody to... Help me hand these out. And uh, Tony, if you'd help me, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. <clears throat> That's our notes for tonight. Uh, last week, we uh, the Lord kind of changed up my plans a little bit, and so I didn't have notes. So this is kind of a combination of uh, last week and this week. <clears throat> so let's open our Bibles to... <coughs> <coughs> 
<coughs> excuse me, open our Bibles to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Oh, and let me mention too, while he's finishing passing those out, um, we had our uh, meeting for Israel, the trip to Israel uh, this past Sunday. If for whatever reason you weren't able to come and you're interested, I do have some more brochures. And uh, we had a really good turnout, really good interest in that, so I'm excited about uh, about the, you know, looking forward to, I know it's two years away, but, but we're looking forward to, um, you know, our trip to the Holy Land. It's always, like I said, it's probably to me, it's one of the, uh, it was the hot, it was, it was the best trip station I've ever taken. I mean, we, we enjoyed Hawaii this year, but, uh, but Israel was, uh, the trip that really was the most eye opening for me and, uh, for us. So, um, if, if at all possible, we encourage you to go, to go with us and it's a great price, great, it's gonna be a good, fun time of, uh, uh, fellowship and, and, uh, just learning the word and growing in the word. So, so we're excited about that. All right. So, um, Isaiah 53, these Wednesday nights we've been looking at just the importance of, we saw the scripture in Hebrews some about six weeks ago, I guess, where we, where the Lord really kind of just jumped out at me about that, where, where Paul told them, he said, you are unskilled in the word of righteousness. And if you can be unskilled in it, then you can be skilled in it. And so, so what, what I felt like the Lord was saying to me was that, that we need to be skilled in the word of righteousness. And, and what, what that means to me is just understanding the word. And, and so we started out simply the basics of salvation. What does salvation mean? Um, what does it look like? You know, and what is, what all does it entail? And, you know, for so many, um, we've, we've, you know, even last week, and when we got through last week, we had some comments and, uh, you know, three or four said, you know, man, I've never, I never heard anything like this until, you know, until we started coming to Destiny or a church like this. And for so long, so many people grow up and they, you know, and, and it's the, probably the, the pastor's fault, the, the leaders of the church, because we just automatically assume if we understand it, you understand it. And, you know, and, and we just throw words out like, you know, salvation, covenant, righteousness, holiness, grace. You know, we just throw these words out just assuming that everybody has a full understanding of it. Well, it's, it's evident that we don't. You know, a lot of times the people teaching it don't have a full understanding of it because they don't teach it like the Bible teaches it. And, you know, that what's in the Bible. So, um, so we have, you know, so we have undertaken just to, to, I don't know, we, we'll be on this for a while because we're just looking at a bunch of different subjects. Like we looked at salvation, then we looked at covenant, we looked at, the, you know, the importance of the, uh, the, the virgin birth, what that means. Um, then last week we started talking about, uh, the, the importance of the cross. And then, uh, you know, we're finishing that tonight. We're, well, I don't know that we're finishing because this, this subject, as I mentioned last week, probably is one of the, besides salvation, this subject is probably one of the most important for a Christian to understand. And it is, it is what happened at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, we're only, we're only tackling the cross here last week and this week, so we've got, we've got the other side of it. Um, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, but, but the importance of understanding what happened at the cross is kind of the same thing when we talked about covenant. If you don't understand covenant, if you don't understand what true biblical covenant looks like and what it is, then you miss out. You miss out on so much power in understanding the covenant we have with our Father. 
And it's the same thing with the cross. If you don't understand what Jesus did on the cross, the price that He paid and why He paid it and what He did and why He did it. And, you know, and, and one way I like, to, I like to talk about the cross, um, and, and we'll look at this tonight on the, on the back side of that sheet. There's a whole page that we'll talk about it. But one way I like to look at the cross is this, is that it's the great exchange. Because there was a lot of stuff that got exchanged at the cross. And, and if you don't understand that, and you don't know what, you know, you don't, you don't understand what Jesus took to the cross and what happened to Him, what God did to Him on the cross, and, and for the reason that He, you know, God poured His wrath out on Jesus so He wouldn't have to pour it out on us. You know, I mean, there's so much, and, and we'll, we'll show you some scriptures and, and look at that. So, so the biggest question, and we looked at this last week, in Isaiah 53, the biggest question is this, whose report are you going to believe? And um, because, because religion and, um, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. If you, if you give something time enough, uh, people will come up with all kinds of other beliefs about something. You know, and, and it's no different than the cross. Because we read Isaiah, last week we read Isaiah 53. We read Jonah chapter 2. Uh, we, we looked at some New Testament scriptures, a couple of New Testament scriptures. But Isaiah 53 is the prophetic uh, messianic uh, chapter that describes from God's point of view what was going to happen on the cross. You have to remember, Isaiah wrote this, you know, I don't know how many hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene, but it was written way before Jesus showed up. And, but it was a picture from God's point of view, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, about what was going to happen on the cross. And I, I don't think we won't take the time tonight to go to read all of it. We may, if we have time at the end, I may come back and pull out a couple things. But, but the very first verse just says this, Isaiah 53.1, it says, "...who hath believed our report?" And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And we talk about how, like one translation says, uh, the person that believes, or says the arm of the Lord is revealed to the person who believes his report. You know, and in other words, if you don't believe the report of the Lord, if you don't believe what he said happened at the cross, then you miss out on all of his strength. You know, because you look in the Word, and sometimes you see the finger of God, sometimes you see the hand of God, and then here you see the arm of God. And all of those mean different things. But when you think about the arm of God, you think about His strength. And he said this, he said, Who will believe our report, and to whom will the arm of the Lord be revealed? In other words, to whom is, who's going to receive the strength of the Lord? Well, the answer to that is the one that believes His report. When you believe what He said, then you get His strength. When you believe what somebody else said, what you're doing is saying you don't believe what God said, so therefore you don't get the strength that comes from what He said. Amen. So, so it's a huge thing for us to understand uh, what He said, why He said it, and, and to understand what happened on the cross. Now last week we looked at some of these points. I just wrote these out um, today and just because I went back and, and we, we, talked about, we talked about most of these last week. Uh, and if you have questions on it, we can, we can talk about it. But, but let's look at some things that p- get people... Because one thing, I think Tanya even mentioned that somebody on her page got stirred up because something she said about, you know, about Jesus going to hell. Or, no, or she mentioned somebody and somebody said, well, don't listen to them because they believe Jesus went to hell or something like that. Well, he did. 
<laughs> you know, and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a clear picture when you hear somebody say something like that, that they don't understand what happened on the cross. You know, and I wrote down seven things that sometimes get people, get people riled up. But number one, uh, Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. We celebrate Good Friday every Easter, but he wasn't, he wasn't crucified on a Friday. He was actually crucified on a Wednesday. In order, in order for him, in order for him to fulfill the prophecy, and that's one of the other points down here too, but in order for him to fulfill the prophecy of being, being in, in the grave three days and three nights, it had to be on a Wednesday. And people always say, well, it says that he was crucified, you know, on the Sabbath. He was taken down because he couldn't hang on the Sabbath. Well, if you read John 19.31, it says that it was a high day. It was a high, it was a special, um, it was a special Sabbath, which means that it was during Passover. And that Passover, that special Sabbath would be on a Wednesday, or be on a, they, they count their days different. They, you know, they, they're, their next day starts at like 6 p.m. in the evening. In other words, like right now, they would be started on their Thursday. You know, because it goes, it, they go from 6 p.m. to 6 p.m. is the night. And then, you know, so they, they, we, we do like midnight to midnight. They start at 6 p.m. at sundown, basically. We should say 6 p.m. But Jesus was crucified on a Wednesday, so his body had to be taken down before, before the sun went down that day so that he wouldn't be on the cross on the Sabbath. You count Wednesday night, Thursday, Thursday night, Friday, Friday night, Saturday, then that is three nights and three days, and then he was risen again early Sunday morning, which would be, which we would look at that and say it would be Saturday night, but it would be Sunday morning, the Sunday morning of, of you know, of that. So anyway, so but people will argue with that that oh no, they, they they count different, you know, and they do all this stuff. And he was he was crucified on a Friday. Well, no, he wasn't. You know, the Bible tells us the Bible is very clear about that. Now here's a big one. The, we you know most people just say well it was the Romans that killed Jesus. Now the Romans were the ones that put him on the cross, but you have to understand, God is the one that killed Jesus. Now that's you might say how do you say that? Well. Because he knew, listen, in Isaiah, look at, look in Isaiah. Let's look at this scripture just to show you this. And we talked about this a little bit. Um, verse 10. Let's look at Isaiah 53, verse 10. And, and you know, when, when you talk about who, you know, you know, because we, and we looked at this verse last week because I talked about this a little bit, but, but notice in verse 10 it said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So, you see right there, it wasn't the Romans that was doing that. To, now, yes, the Romans were the ones physically doing that. But it says that God, it pleased God to bruise His Son. And, and you take that further and you, and you understand that Scripture. And what happened was this. Because God knew that in order for you and I to be free, that, that His wrath and His judgment was going to have to be poured out on His Son. And he had to do that. And if God, if God had not poured his wrath and his judgment out on Jesus, then his wrath and judgment would still be coming our way. So God is the one that instituted this whole plan. And, and he, it, was, it was put into place before the foundations of the earth. And it was God's plan from the beginning. Because he knew, he knew that mankind would, would screw up. And that, you know, that he, that he was so in love with us 
and, and wanted, such wanted a relationship with us that his plan from before the foundations of the earth was, was the plan of redemption. I don't understand how he could do that. I don't understand why he would do that. But all I know is that he did it and I accept it. <laughs> you know, I mean, my mind can't wrap around that. I, I can't explain that fully to you. But all I know is his word says it and I believe it. Amen? Salvation, now here's a big one. Salvation wasn't finished at the cross. It really, it just began. You know, a lot of, see, because a lot of people will tell you this, the, the ones that will argue with you and say that, that Jesus didn't go to hell, they say that when he cried out, it is finished, they say at that moment, salvation was complete. But salvation was not complete because all that did was, and actually turn over to Hebrews, I'll show you this scripture, Hebrews chapter 10. So, so at salvation, yes, the cross is important. And a lot of stuff happened at the cross. But salvation was not complete on the cross. Salvation started on the cross. He, he died on the cross. He was sacrificed on the cross. He was martyred on... Not martyred. He was, he, he was, he was sacrificed on the cross. But that's, that only started salvation. Because if it ended at the cross and it didn't, it didn't include Him going to hell and being resurrected, then guess what? Our punishment is still due us. So it was really just started. People love wearing crucifixes, and I'm not against crucifixes and you know wearing crosses and stuff. But really, to be honest with you, the better representation of a victory piece of a victory piece of jewelry would be an empty tomb. <laughs> that would be the that would be a great piece of victory in that. But notice here in Romans, I mean in Hebrews chapter ten and verse twelve. Notice this. It says. But this man, talking about Jesus, if you read the rest of that, you see he's talking about Jesus. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. So see, it wasn't until Jesus went, after he offered his blood, went to hell, suffered for three days and three nights, his own, by his own faith. Remember in Jonah, we, we saw, we read in Jonah where, where he remembered what God had said about him. And he remembered and he said, I will, I will turn my face to the temple and I will offer praise. And, and basically, long story short, and we'll look at this probably the next time we meet, um, next week, um, what he did was when he was in hell, by his own faith, he was resurrected. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was resurrected. And it, because listen, if he hadn't been resurrected, then guess what? Then you and I are still dead. But because He was resurrected, you and I are in Him. Everything that happened in Him happened in us now. And since He was resurrected, and when He went to heaven, you remember because, because one of the first times that, I think was it Mary that saw Him, and He told her, said, don't touch me, because I haven't yet been to, the, I haven't yet been to my Father. And so what He was saying was, He hadn't offered the sacrifice. He hadn't offered His blood yet in the heavenly Holy of Holies. And if she had touched him, it, 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 you know, it would have defiled him because as a high priest, something sinful, if you touch something sinful, it would make you defiled. So Jesus had his blood, and when he went to heaven, when he went to the heavenly holy of holies, when God accepted his blood as the perfect sacrifice, the Bible says that is when he sat down. Why did he sit down? Because his job was finished. At that moment, that's when, that's when it was declared it's finished. Because one thing, one thing you see about the, the temple in the Old Testament 
And one thing you see about the, all the temples of old, they never had, the high priest never had a seat to sit in. You know why? His job was never finished. It was, he was always continually offering sacrifices. It wasn't until Jesus, who was our high priest, it wasn't until he offered that sacrifice once and for all that he sat down as our high priest, symbolizing that it's over. That, I mean, every, every sacrifice, there'll never have to be another sacrifice for mine and your sin. Glory to God. That's good news. Amen. Number four, now this is huge too. Jesus was not just our substitute. He literally became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that He could make us the righteous. So see, God made Him, God put all of mankind's sin on Jesus and when he, and Jesus took that to the cross, offered that on the cross, died in sin. Jesus had never committed a sin, but He, he was made to be sin for us he died in sin. That's the reason that he went to hell. And when he, when he took hell captive, when he was resurrected, when he came out of there after three days and three nights, he, he came out, and the Bible says he, he came out victorious over death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And people will argue and say, oh, Jesus was never sin. Well, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says something totally different. It says that God made him to be sin. Amen. Number five, Jesus broke the power of sin. Therefore, sin no longer has power over the believer. Now, people argue and say, well, how come people sin? Well, it's because they want to. They don't have to. If sin had power over you, you would have to sin. But see, sin has no power over you. The only time sin has power over you is when you, when you accept Whatever it is that when you accept that temptation is when you when you agree to go against God's word is when it's when you do something that goes against what God said. So sin has no power over you until you agree with it. It's just like we've heard this said many times, but you know you you the the liar has no power until you until you believe his lie, and when you believe his lie, you empower the liar. Amen. Number six, Jesus totally strips Satan of all his power. Listen, Satan is powerless. Now, so many people today will argue against that. There, there are people today that believe that there's a demon behind every bush and you've got to have spiritual warfare going on 24-7. Now, listen, I believe in spiritual warfare. But you know what? I also believe in, 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 and understand who I am in Christ. And I understand the authority I have. And until I and, and listen, when you understand who you are, and we're going to be looking at this through this through this series, when you understand who you are in Christ, it takes you to a place where you're not afraid of Satan. That's the reason, like you know, you hear these stories of these great men, um, you know, Shambach and 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 uh, T.L. Osborne and all these great guys. They'd, they'd go to these foreign countries and. They said they'd, they'd fly their planes in there and they'd get off and they could just feel the, the evil all over the place. And they, they'd step foot on the place and they'd yell out, Devil, I'm here! People say, oh, don't say that, don't say that. He's like, why? I said, I'm not afraid of them. Why? Because they understood who they were. They understood, listen, they understood what Jesus did on the cross. <clears throat> and see, when you understand that, you'll understand that He's totally stripped of His power. 
The only power He has is what we give Him. Amen. Jesus spent three days, three full days and nights in the grave, went to Hades. He actually didn't go to hell. He went to Hades, two different places, to pay the price for our sin. We read that in Jonah chapter 2. You know, where Jonah, that, Jonah chapter 2 was a prophetic picture of what would, what Jesus, what would happen to Jesus when he went into the belly of the earth. Just like Jonah went in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And, you know, Jonah said, seaweed was wrapped around me and I was, out, the waves crashed over me and, and all this stuff. You know, he, in other words, everything was, everything was coming down on top of him because Satan thought he had won. For three days and three nights, Satan thought he had defeated Jesus. But then suddenly, <laughs> you know, I love that Carmen video. You know, the, uh, all of a sudden hell started shaking. The found, very foundations of hell started rattling and rumbling. And, and Jesus started throwing those demons off of him. And, you know, and by, by his faith, he was resurrected. The power of the Holy Spirit invaded hell and totally ripped it apart, invaded Hades, and totally ripped it apart and, and delivered Jesus out of there, resurrected him, the firstborn among the dead. And, and, and you know, when he did that, just like we were part, when, when he took our place and we were part in the, in the crucifixion, we were also part in the resurrection. And what he did, it, it was accounted to us. We were there with him. In Christ. Amen. Now, there's a lot of other things too, that, but that's just some things that, you know, that just from Isaiah 53, some of the other scriptures we looked at. And, you know, there's some other things that people will argue with you about, but, but that's, just, that's just a little bit of, of things that show you uh, when people disagree with those things, you, you know, when you have scripture on it, you can look and say, this is God's report. This is what He said happened. And if you say something else happened, then you're believing another report. You're not believing the report of the Lord. Now, let's turn to Romans. And uh, I want you to see this scripture. Because, boy, this, man, man, this is shouting ground right here. Romans chapter 5. And we could, man, you could read all of this, but we're just going to pick up here in verse 6. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Now, as we read this, I want you to think about this. Think with me for a moment. Don't say anything. Don't, you don't have to verbalize this. But think with me for a moment about a time in your life when you were at your lowest point. You were at the darkest, dirtiest, most foulest point of your life. It may be a season. It may be one event. I mean, it could be whatever. Think about that just for a moment. Now, think about, think, now think about the time, and hopefully it's today, uh, you know, or if not, it, was, it, it wouldn't be far from today. But think about the time when you felt the closest to God. When you felt like, like you were doing, you know, I mean, everything in your life was going great. Your relationship with God was great. And, and if anybody asked you, you would say, I feel closer to God right now than I ever have. Think about that for a moment. Now, as we read this scripture in Romans chapter 5, I want you to have this realization. God doesn't love you anymore from one event to the other event. His love for you has been steadfast throughout your entire life. Just because, just because you're living your life for Him doesn't make Him love you anymore. Now, there's consequences to living a bad life versus, versus a good life. There's things that, you know, the wages of sin is still death. If you go out and sin and do things that are contrary to God's Word, it will still bring death in your life. 
just because Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave and conquered sin and, and overcome sin, took the power away from Satan, doesn't mean that if you go out and, and, and agree with him and, and side in with Satan and do, start doing things he wants you to do, that it won't bring destruction in your life. Amen. But let's look at, let's look at this scripture. So, so think about those two events and how much the difference between God's love, which was nothing. In other words, when you were at your filthiest, God loved you. When you were at your best, God loved you. It wasn't He loved you more here and less here. It was God loved you, period. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 5, um, verse 6. It says this, For when we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. The Amplified says, the Amplified says While we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves, at the fitting time, Christ died for or on behalf of the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. So in other words, what he was saying was this. You find, you know, you find a, a good person, you know, you might, I mean, somebody that's living right or whatever, you, you possibly could find somebody that would say, I'll take a bullet for that person. You know, and, and then he says, he says for, a, for, a, for a good man or somebody, you know, like, for example, you might even say for a family member or for somebody that, that you just say, man, they're, they're, they're the best person I know. You know, you might, you might be able to find a few more people that would step up and say, you know, yeah, I would die for that person. There wouldn't be many when the rubber meet the road, right? I mean, you, you, you know, I don't know too many people that would sacrifice their lives for somebody else. And that's what he's saying here. But then he goes on to say this, verse 8. But God commandeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows, the Amplified says, God shows and clearly proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, died for us. Do you understand the power of that verse? God wasn't waiting for you to be perfect before He before He gave the sacrifice. God looked through eternity. Listen, God knows the end from the beginning. He He is He is a timeless God. He is, in other words, time doesn't matter to Him. When He when He sees us, when He looks when He looks at His now, it's now, and it includes every person that's ever lived. In other words. He doesn't, say, he doesn't look and say, oh, well, that's a hundred years ago. No, it's, with Him, it's now. <laughs> you know, and when He sees you, when he, when he sent His Son, He was looking at you. When He said, Jesus is going to go and, and be the sacrifice, and He's going to go and take that beating, He's going to go and, and, and I'm going to pour my wrath out on Him so that, so that each one, so that Cindy, Monica, Tony, Kenneth, Denise, Tanya, Cindy, Emily, Paul, Ricardo, Amber, so that Lewis, so that so that every so that everybody there at Destiny Bible Church tonight, so that they won't have to endure that. While we were while we were at our worst, you see, because because it doesn't matter because because you say, well, that happened two thousand years ago. That's exactly what I'm saying because he saw your worst and he saw your best and he said, it doesn't matter. I love you anyway. I love you. 
and because I love you. And it says it here. He says, to show His love to us, He sent His Son to die. Powerful. Verse number 9. Now listen, now, this, now here, now, now come on, you thought that was good. Listen to this. Much more then. Say much more. I mean, that was pretty good, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, man, that was, a, that was a good amen point right there. But then in the very next verse, he says, much more then. Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. The Amplified says it this way, Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by Him from the indignation and the wrath of God. Now, why, why would he say that? Why would he say, why would he say you know, you, you look at that progression. While we were at our worst, God sent Jesus to die for us. And because Jesus died for us, he said, much more then, since we're justified or made right, he said, much more then, you and I are saved from His wrath. Why? Because on the cross, in that whole process of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God poured His wrath and His anger out on Jesus. That's the reason it said that it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus. I, I don't, you know, see, that statement is, and I told you this last week, that statement bothered me for the longest time because I'm thinking, how could a father say it would please him to, to bruise his son? I mean, that don't make, that's not rational. You know, we call somebody like that a child molester. In, in our thinking. But what he said was this. It wasn't anything about molestation or, or anything like that. But what he said was this. He was looking past Jesus saying, when I, because, because, G, because I'm able to pour my wrath out on Jesus, everybody after him and every, even people before him, now they are free from the wrath and condemnation of me, of God, of, of sin. Let me put it that way. And since the penalty was paid by Jesus... You and I, that's the reason he said much more then. Since we're justified by what Jesus did, now we're free from the penalty of sin. Verse 10. For if, when we, shall be, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So in other words, if Jesus did that when we, were, when, we, when, when we were enemies or against Him or when we were at our darkest point, he said, he said if the death of Jesus caused that to happen, then how much more since now that He's living are we reconciled or made right with Him? Second Corinthians, now, or, second, uh, or no, Colossians, I'm sorry. Colossians uh, chapter 1 says this. This is an interesting scripture. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, says this, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by, by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled. Now notice that. Really, in God's, in God's sight, see that's an incredible scripture, because in God's sight, 
we weren't really enemies with him. You know why? Because in his sight, he saw us through the blood. And here Paul says this. He said, he said, we were enemies in our mind with him. In other words, our thoughts. It goes back to the, it goes back to my question. Whose report are you going to believe? See, because when you believe, when you believe somebody else's report, then that puts you as an enemy with God in your own thinking. People say all the time, and I, I heard this, you know, when Joseph Prince came on the scene, and, and especially because, because it was more of a worldwide thing, but when really the grace message really took off and started, and you started hearing the grace message a lot, you heard people start saying things like this. Well, if you preach something like that, you're just giving people a license to sin. You know, because here's, here, here's why they would say that. Because when you understand grace, you understand this. All of my sins are already forgiven. Past, present, and future. In other words, if I sin tomorrow, you know what? It's already forgiven. So people, so people that, that want to twist that would say this. Since my sins are already forgiven, then I can live any way I want to live and there's no consequence to it. So see, they twist that and that's the reason you hear people say, oh, well, you're just giving people a license to sin. And, and of course, the, you've heard this a million times, but, but people don't need a license. They do good without one anyway. <laughs> They're sinning pretty good, you know, without a license. You know, but, here, but here's the point. Here's what I'm trying to say. Is that, see, even in that, you can, take, you can take a Scripture and twist it to make it say anything you want it to say. People, people take Scriptures and twist it to justify their sin. Now think about that. They're doing it. I mean, you see people today. I heard, you know, a congressman or whatever, it was come out that he said something or another about that God, you know, something about like abortion or something. And, and he said something to the fact that, you know, that, uh, that we need to change our thought about abortion because God supports abortion. And he said, I've got Scripture that I can show you. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to see which, what Bible you're reading that out of. But see, you can take Scripture and twist it and make it say anything you want to. But that just because you can make it say something doesn't mean that it's really what the Word is saying. Amen? <clears throat> so the report that we have to believe here, the report that we have to believe here is what He says about it. And if you and if we don't understand and if we if we take away what he did at the cross and we say things like we say things like well well Jesus didn't go to hell and and you know he really didn't suffer like that and he you know he was only our substitute he wasn't made to be sin then what we're doing is we're believing another report we're not believing the report of the Lord now look on the backside here and let's just go over this just real quick I was going to read some other uh, Translations, but we'll just we'll just have time for this tonight. Um, I got this I got this from uh, this actually is a uh, from Derek Prince I believe is who this is from that that was in one of his books. But uh, uh, it talks about the great exchange of the cross, and he talks about communion about you know we've talked about that when he reads the scripture there in First Corinthians eleven verse twenty three and twenty four. And it says, when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When Christ tells you to take his, his body and, and drink his blood, 
in remembrance of Him, He wants you to take everything that He has provided for you. You take and eat in a worthy manner when you choose to believe that His full forgiveness, His complete healing, and His full redemption as listed below is for you to receive, for you to take at this present moment. Man, what a powerful statement. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved. That word saved is sozo, which means healed, delivered, made whole. So much, so much more to that word. And we've, we've talked about that. So you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So what is it? That, what happened at the exchange of the cross? The simplest way to receive all that Jesus has done for you on the cross is to take the gift of salvation and to thank Him for it through the confession of your mouth. And so let's look. He, he lists eight different things, and, and you could probably come up with some more things, but this was a good list. This, uh, this was everything that, that, um, that I had on my heart to, to talk about, and there's, and there's probably some other things, but, but look at this. Number one, and we talked about most of these. Jesus was punished and made sin with your sinfulness so that you might be forgiven and made righteous. In other words, he, God put your sin upon Jesus and, and God put His righteousness on you. Hallelujah. And, and then the exchange is this. He says, give, give Jesus your sins and take the forgiveness and righteousness He's offering you. And He has a confession there to say with that. And you can, you can go back over this and, and more in depth. Number two says, Jesus was wounded that you might be healed. Now, the interesting thing about that is when you read, when you read in Isaiah 53 verse 4 and 5, where, where the word stripes in Isaiah 53, verse 5, I think it is, where it says, you know, by His, stri- by his stripes we were healed. That word stripes is actually, is actually really a bad translation. That word stripes really is the word for bruise. So, so, so what it should say, now remember what it should or what we talked about down later on in Isaiah 53, it was translated right, in verse 10, where it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Well, up there in verse 5, it says, you know, he was, he was uh, by his stripes we were healed. Well, it should, it should have said by his bruising we were healed. Well, who bruised him? The Father did. And see, so it, why, why did he do that? Because he took, the, he took everything, the penalty for sin, for the penalty for, for breaking covenant, the penalty for, for what Adam did from in the very beginning. That penalty was separation from God, and, and it also included, it introduced, it introduced death to the world. Sickness, sin, sickness. It introduced all that. Well, when, when it says that, we're, that by his bruising we're healed, in other words, Jesus, Jesus wounded him, he bruised him, he poured his wrath out on him. Why? So that you and I would not have to carry that pain of sickness and disease. He poured it out on Jesus, and now you and I get, get to receive healing because Jesus has already been bruised for that. Man, that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. Number three, Jesus was made a curse and died your death that you might receive the blessing and share the life of Christ. Number four, Jesus endured your poverty that you might share in His abundance. Number five, Jesus bore your shame that you might share in His glory. Man. 
Number six, Jesus endured your rejection so that you might enjoy His acceptance. Number seven, Jesus was cut off by death that you might be joined to God eternally. And in other words, you could say this, He was cut off by death so that you could have life. Amen. And then number eight, boy, this is a big one. Your old man died in Jesus that Christ might live in you. And see, that, that one is where we talked about how that, that, he, that he defeated sin. You know, our old nature died when we get, when we get born again, when we, accept, when we accept what happened at the cross. Our old nature dies and a brand new nature is birthed on the inside of us. Now, it's your choice whether or not, whether or not you, you accept that new man and whether you walk in that new man or whether you let that old man keep creep, creeping back up and, and, and agreeing with that old man. See, the thing, the thing that's incredible to me about God is this, is that He didn't want, He didn't want just a bunch of people or a bunch of robots or a bunch of angels that had no, uh, that, that just served him just because he made them to do it. He was looking for people that would say, you know what, I have a choice. I can praise God or I cannot praise God. And I'm going to praise Him. Or I could choose God or I could not choose God. You see, because, and people, and, and this, man, I tell you, re- religion will get people stirred up. Because because you you make this I made this statement in a Baptist church one time about got about got thrown out of church. I mean I, seriously I did I just about got thrown out of church. <clears throat> it's my brother's church. <laughs> he just about threw me out of his church. <laughs> but 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 here here was and, and it was two statements I made there that I got in trouble about. But uh, one of, one of them was that that I said everything Jesus did on this earth he did as a man. He didn't do it as God. And boy, religion don't like that because see, they they because because here's why here's why religion don't like that, and here's why people will kick back on all of this stuff because see now that puts that puts if 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 Jesus did everything as a man, then he was our example, and that means that we can do the same things that Jesus did. And see, they don't want that. They they want to accept. They just want to say, well, that was Jesus. I can't do that. You know, I oh that's you know if oh if I was God I could do that but I'm I'm just a man. Well, guess what? Everything Jesus did, he did as a man. <laughs> but the second thing is this. <clears throat> uh, here here's the other thing. You know, right along with that, that you that that you that uh, oh Lord help me with that. What was I going to say? What was the other thing I about got thrown out for? That was a big one. I had the other one right there. <clears throat> That one got that got me excited about that one. I forgot my other one. <laughs> um, oh, the, oh, I know that that you don't have to sin. And see that it's your and and, and when you make the statement, when you tell people, it's if you sin, it's your choice. Well, boy, that'll get people riled up. Oh, I ha- I don't have a choice. I'm I live in a fallen world. Oh, Satan made me do it. Well, you know why people say that, don't you? Well, because it's an excuse. 
You see, because here's what God... God doesn't want people... You know, in other words, He's looking for people that will choose Him. He's not looking for people that just do it because they're, because they're made that way. He's looking for people that says, I have an option and I choose you. Now, let, let me ask you, I mean, just as human beings, we, I mean, think about this. If your husband, you know, now, like some cultures, some cultures, the, the wives are chosen for the husbands. They don't have a choice. Families choose them. And, you know, now, could you imagine, could you imagine coming home every day and looking at your spouse and hearing them say, well, I don't want to be here, but I have to be here. And, well, that's, I mean, versus, versus, I can't believe I get the opportunity to spend my life with you. I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe that I chose you. You see, there's a big difference in that. And that's what God is looking for. And, and the whole reason that this whole, everything that we talked about tonight, it was simply because of this. It, it, the cross boils down to this one statement. God loves you. He loves you. He loved you when you were the worst. He loved you when you were your best. He loves you, period. There's no distinction. And because of that, he sent his son. Jesus died. And next week we're going to look at we're going to look at some of those some of those points about what Jesus paid for, what he did on the cross, and things like that. But the, the one the one I wanted you to get tonight is just simply this: God loves you. When you were at your worst, when you were at your best, he loves you. And and the cross is a perfect picture of his love. It's a perfect picture of his love for you. Amen. Any questions or comments real quick? Yes. Mm. The number 12. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it resembles what? God's divine law on the earth. Wow. 12, 12, 12, 12. Yeah. His divine law on the earth. Yeah, that's good. Good. Now listen, let me let me just say this. And I, I don't know, I, most of you probably have heard this before and and it's not bothering you, but but if you've never heard stuff like this, you know, some of you may be thinking, he's off his rocker. You know, I don't know what I believe all that. Study the word. Ask pray and ask the Lord. Open your word and say, Lord, is is that what you said? Isaiah, read Isaiah 53. Read Jonah 2. Read the scriptures that are on the, the thing there I gave you. Romans 5. Romans 6. Read those scriptures and see and ask the Holy Spirit, is that, is that really your report? And let the Holy Spirit show you. Open the, you know, don't take my word for it. You know, we talked about this. Don't just say, well, I believe that because the pastor believes it. Well, no, I mean, you need to believe it because you know it. You've seen it in your word. Amen. And listen, it'll set you free. <laughs> it'll set you free. Amen. Amen. All right, let me pray for you and we'll go. Father, thank you for your word tonight. <clears throat> thank you for your goodness and your mercy. God, you're so good. I thank you. I thank you for everything that happened on the cross. I thank you, Lord, that, that it was a uh, it was nothing more, Father, than you showing your love to me and to each one of us. Father, it was it was a divine display of your love for us. And Father, so I thank you for revelation. I thank you for helping us get a picture of this and seeing this and understanding this. And Father, we give you all the glory for uh, for everything 
that, that uh, for all of this revelation opening our minds, help, giving us strength for. Lord, Isaiah 53, 1, that's my prayer, Lord. As, as we believe your report, Father, we will see your strength. And we will be built up and be, become stronger people. So I thank you for that. We bless you and we honor you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. You're dismissed.